Hey, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to the Elemental Evan Show. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Today we're going to be talking about a food first approach. So if you've listened to this show before, you know that I'm a big believer in eating your vitamins and minerals as opposed to supplementing, right? I really believe that supplementing should be something that we don't go to first. We, you know, go there when we need it, uh, when it becomes an absolute necessity. And before that, I believe we should try to stick with whole foods and even supplements that are more so a whole food form before we go straight into supplements. So today I'm really going to be breaking down what are five uh, major deficiencies, typically here in the US, but also around the world. Uh, there's many other deficiencies for vitamins and minerals that I'm not going to be covering today. I chose just five today, but these are five major ones that are very important and are things that we really do need to be getting in our diets because they play a massive role in our health and our well being. Uh, so that's what we're going to be covering today. We're going to be covering what foods you can get these minerals and vitamins from in high amounts. And uh, that way you can focus on eating foods that have your supplements as opposed to uh, going out and spending your money on supplements, right? I also find it a lot more enjoyable to eat my supplements as opposed to uh, having to take pills, right? So before I go any further, I definitely want to mention that there is nothing wrong with supplements. I don't have anything against them. I just believe that our bodies are better equipped to absorb and find minerals and vitamins through the foods that we eat as opposed to taking a supplement. But supplements definitely are effective. And if you are low in something, it can be incredibly beneficial for you. Um, maybe even life-saving in many ways. So uh, in no way am I against supplements. I definitely take supplements myself as well, but my approach is definitely to try to find those in food. So I wanted to kind of start off with why do we even take supplements, right? Like when, what, like where did this even come from? Like why, why did we start taking supplements? Well, there's a few different reasons. Um, the more common ones that are pretty well known are for one, the depletion of our soils. So through things like monocropping and just kind of poor farming practices, we have really depleted our soils of their nutrient profiles, right? Their diverse profiles. And we have really just farmed all the same minerals and vitamins out of them day in and day out and really depleted the soils in those minerals and vitamins. So when you buy food, typically from the supermarket, uh, if you were to compare, like they say, an apple today compared to 100 years ago, the nutrient profile would be much greater back 100 years ago as opposed to today. So we are getting less minerals and vitamins from our foods that we're eating today, even if we're eating um, you know, fruits and vegetables and high quality foods, right? Uh, and there is a bit of a caveat to that. So We'll get into that in a second, but so that's one of the big ones is the poor farming practices that have depleted our soils. And on top of that, we also have environmental pollutants. Uh, we have things like glyphosate. Uh, we have, you know, herbicides, insecticides, pesticides, all these different sides, right, that are being sprayed on our foods. We have um, poor air quality. We have all these different things, right, that are kind of compounding on us and uh, maybe making it more difficult for us to absorb vitamins and minerals through our foods. Um, you know, we're having excess levels of heavy metals and therefore we need to find ways of removing them, right? Like there's so many different factors that really play a role here. And um, a lot of times it's summed up as we, you know, 
for the modern world that we're living in, it's, you know, kind of essential to be supplementing in some ways. Now, I don't know if I'm fully on board with that. Um, I think it's very dependent on the person. So uh, it really is going to boil down to you and how you live your lifestyle, where, where you live, what you eat, all of that is going to play a role. So that is also another thing I wanted to talk about, which is throughout this whole talk, the best way to know if you're deficient in something, just because I'm covering the top, you know, uh, not the top five, but um, you know, five of the more common deficiencies of vitamins and minerals that we do have, the best way to know if you are deficient in these is to test, right? Like that is truly the best way of actually knowing what it is that you're low in, what you might need more of, what you're getting too much of even as well. Um, it's the best way to do so is to actually test and see what your levels are. And having that knowledge will allow you to make better decisions and uh, possibly even save you money in the long run, right? If you are buying a lot of supplements, maybe you're taking supplements that you don't actually need because you're already getting ample amounts of it in your food. So best way to do, uh, to figure this out is to actually have a test that will tell you what you're low in, what you're high in, all that good stuff. And the last thing I want to talk about is if you are looking to eat a more nutrient dense diet, one of the best things you can do is actually grow your own food, right? And I mean, you really don't need to have a ton of space for this. I have simply a balcony and I am growing uh, cucumbers, zucchini, strawberries, uh, lettuce, beets, you know, like tomatoes. I have a wide array of things in a very small area. So if you think that you do not have enough space, you really don't need a ton of space to grow food and produce. Um, if you have a backyard, even better, you can actually have a legit garden going, right? So that would be my first recommendation is to grow your own food, even if it's just one plant, right? Just try something out. It is very rewarding to grow something and to actually harvest what it is that you've grown. Um, I will also say that when you grow your own food, you're going to have better tasting food than what you would typically get at the supermarket. It's going to be way more fresh. Typically, you can pick something and cook it the exact same day. Uh, maybe you save it for a day or two, but you know it's very, very fresh. So you're picking it at the height of its ripeness, essentially. And on top of that, it's better for the environment. You're not having to obviously have your food transported. You're just picking it and bringing it inside. Uh, so there's so many different factors that go into this that just make growing your own food way better for you. It's going to be more nutrient dense as well. You can pick what kind of soil you use in your garden. Uh, so you can really make sure that you're having nutrient dense soil, which is like I said, something that we're really lacking right now. Uh, so that would be my number one recommendation to increase the nutrient profile, uh, that you'd be getting from your diet. Now, if you aren't able to like, grow anything. Let's just say maybe you only are renting a room in a house or something like that. Okay. Well then at that point you could then go to a farmer's market. Farmer's markets would probably be the next best thing. You're supporting a local farmer, which is incredible on its own really is something that we should all be doing. And also you're getting food that is still very fresh and probably picked really recently, uh, as opposed to something that might've been picked a week ago and had to be transported from a different country, right? So you're getting food that is much more fresh, supporting a local farmer, and if you can get it organic as well, I mean, that's just the whole shebang right there. If, unfortunately, you can't find, find a organic local farmer, that might be a time in which you could go to a supermarket looking for organic produce, 
or you could simply get to know the farmer and figure out what it is that they're doing that keeps them from being organic. And it might just be a simple couple things that really aren't that bad and would mean that you would actually get some really good produce that is practically organic and is still really fresh and local and has a high level of nutrient density. That would be definitely my top recommendation. Um, and then after that, you can go into the stores. Of course, budgeting does play a role in all of this. Growing your own food is obviously a pretty economical thing to be doing. Farmers markets can be a little bit pricey. I'm all about supporting your local farmers, but I do understand that budgeting can come in and play a role. So obviously do the best you can with what you have. I'm just trying to provide you guys with the tools and giving you the information on how to really increase the nutrient density uh, that you're getting from your food. Now, when we're jumping into today's episode on the five different uh, minerals and vitamins that we are typically deficient in, I will be explaining uh, what are the major food sources in which you can get these uh, nutrients from in typically very high amounts as well, uh, sometimes even more than the daily recommended uh, or the recommended daily amount or the daily value. Uh, so I'm going to provide you with all that information so that way you can try to build a plate that is going to be rich in these minerals and vitamins that you might be lacking. And especially if you can test yourself and figure out what it is that you're low in, then you can really be specific in adding in these uh, strategic food items into your plate. Uh, as always, I will try to include uh, you know everything from animal products to just plant-based products to really create a wide array here for everyone. Uh, I think that everyone has their own type of diets that's right for them. So uh, no discrimination here on that. Whatever diet works best for you is awesome. And I'm just gonna provide you with the whole food forms to uh, really increase the nutrient density for you. So let's jump in to the first one. Uh, this is a very common one that I think a lot of people already know about and they talk about as well. Uh, that is vitamin D. Now I'm going to include vitamin K2 in here as well. And there's a specific reason for that, that I will cover. Um, but vitamin D is definitely something that a lot of people are deficient in. Now, when I was looking online, I was having some difficulty finding exact numbers for how deficient we are in vitamin D. I did find on the NIH website that about one in four US adults are low in vitamin D. Um, there's a lot of different reasons for this. Being indoors is probably the biggest, the biggest reason we're low in vitamin D in my opinion, right? I don't have scientific backing on that, but it kind of just makes sense being that vitamin D uh, can be made from being out in the sunlight. So I definitely think that being indoors far too long under artificial light is one of the major reasons why we are low in vitamin D. Uh, there could be other factors as well as such, you know, such as the food that we're eating being low in vitamin D as well. So uh, there are multiple factors, but one of the biggest ones I think is actually just getting outside and being able to have the sunlight on your skin, preferably in the early part and the later part of the day, kind of avoiding the midday sun. Um, but really just getting outside and getting some sunlight on your skin can do wonders for your health, for your vitamin D levels. And uh, of course, including the foods that are going to be high in vitamin D can be beneficial as well. But let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what vitamin D actually does in the body. So vitamin D is important for intestinal absorption and metabolism of calcium, magnesium, and phosphorus. Vitamin D is essential for your muscles to move and for your nerves to carry messages between your brain and body. 
Vitamin D is also utilized by the immune system to fight off invading bacteria and viruses. Low levels of vitamin D are linked to things like osteoporosis, rickets, and a weakened immune system. This is why I'm covering this. It is a very important vitamin, right? Um, it's one of those things that is definitely getting a lot of recognition, but I think is still really not well understood. I mean, even just me reading that small paragraph explains so much, right? I mean, even if we talk about uh, it's essential for our muscles to move and for your nerves to carry messages between your brain and body. It's like the most crucial thing possible that we could absolutely be doing with our bodies, right? Like without that, we are pretty much not going to be able to do anything, right? So uh, yeah, it's absolutely essential. Uh, I really love the part about intestinal absorption as well. Uh, if you don't already know this, I've had a lot of gastrointestinal issues growing up as a kid. And one of the major things is, uh, you know, being able to actually absorb the nutrients in your food, right? And that all happens in the GI system, uh, the absorption of all the food. So you could be eating very healthy, but if you're not absorbing it properly, you could not be getting the maximum benefit that you could be getting from eating those foods. So vitamin D is absolutely essential. So I did also want to take a moment and kind of explain how we create vitamin D from the sun. So I'm not gonna get super deep into this, but I do think it is worth noting that when you go outside into the sunlight, basically, your skin, it's actually the cholesterol in our skin, uh, sorry, in our skin's cells, makes vitamin D from the sunlight. That vitamin D is then later transformed again in the liver and kidneys into the active form known as calcitrol, which is what the body actually needs. So it does go through quite a bit of a process to be created, but really, I mean, you don't need anything else to make the vitamin D. You can simply walk outside and just allow the sunlight and your skin to, and the cholesterol in your skin to do its work and create this vitamin D for you, right? So one of the biggest things, I've already said this before uh, just a minute ago, but really it's just getting outside, right? Getting the sunlight on our skin. And, you know, there is, um, as well, there's a lot of findings that say the darker your skin is, the harder it is for you to get those vitamin D levels up, which means that maybe we need to be spending even more time out in the sun if you have a darker tone of skin. Um, if you are fairer of skin, then maybe not as much time is needed outside, of course, being careful to not get sunburnt, that's not the goal here, um, but simply getting out, like I said, early in the day and late in the day. By doing so, you can really avoid uh, some of the harmful effects of getting sunburnt, right? If you get out nice and early and spend even just an hour in the morning and an hour in the later part of the day, that could be very beneficial in increasing vitamin D levels. And so in terms of vitamin D levels, like what's the appropriate amount? Well, the daily value of vitamin D is placed at 20 micrograms or 800 international units. I know a lot of the vitamin D supplements that I take have higher amounts uh, than 800 IU. And in terms of foods, there are many foods that will easily get you to that amount and possibly even higher. So starting off with the number one food that pops up on the list here is actually cod liver oil. 
So cod liver oil at one tablespoon will provide you with 34 micrograms or 1,260 international units of vitamin D. Already we can see that is over the daily recommended amount. This is a whole food form, cod liver oil, one tablespoon and you're done. You have the recommended uh, amount of vitamin D for your day and it was in one single tablespoon, which is incredible. Uh, salmon, for example, three ounces of salmon will provide 645 international units of vitamin D. So even just having three ounces of salmon, which is not very much, uh, if you sit down and have a plate with some salmon on it, it's very likely that you're having more than three ounces of salmon. And so you're very likely actually getting uh, the recommended amount of vitamin D in just that small piece of salmon. Then we also have mushrooms for people who are plant-based, vegan, vegetarians, whatever it may be. Uh, mushrooms are actually a pretty solid source of vitamin D if you expose them to UV rays. So this is something that I actually saw a while back on someone's Instagram. Uh, I didn't know if they were very serious about this, but they would actually take their mushrooms and set them outside in the sun for, I think it was like 30 minutes to an hour before cooking them. And they were talking about how it will increase the vitamin D levels in the mushrooms. Well, it has been confirmed, at least for me, on the NIH profile, uh, sorry, and <laughs> not their profile, on their uh, website page that if you take these mushrooms and set them out in UV rays or in the sunlight, uh, that it will increase the vitamin D levels. And so that's what they actually have here measured is mushrooms exposed to UV light at uh, a, a half cup of them will be equal to 366 international units of vitamin D. So just a half cup of vitamins that have been exposed to UV light can provide a very significant amount of vitamin D. Once again, that is for, um, well, really anyone can eat mushrooms. Uh, they're delicious and really good for you, but uh, specifically here for the uh, plant-based plant people, uh, mushrooms are gonna be a really great option to go to. And then one of my favorite things, and this is going to pop up in most of the deficiencies and foods that you can eat that will contain a lot of these beneficial uh, vitamins and minerals, and that is eggs. So one scrambled egg with the yolk included, okay, this is very important, is equal to 44 international units of vitamin D. The reason I say with the egg yolk included is because that is where the vitamin D is really located. So if you're eating egg whites, while that's still good for you, I would highly recommend including the yolk. There's a lot of beneficial things in the yolk and vitamin D is just one of those things. Also, like I said earlier on, if you are taking a vitamin D supplement, you really do need to make sure that it is including vitamin K2. The reason for this is, is because vitamin K2 is able to help the body with properly utilizing uh, the calcium to build bones instead of depositing it dangerously in arteries and soft tissues. So if you're taking vitamin D and it does not have vitamin K2 with it, I would highly recommend changing up to a vitamin D supplement that does have K2 included. Now, most supplements will already do this. Um, it's a pretty well-known thing, so I think it'd be pretty hard for you to find just simply vitamin D without the K2. But nonetheless, it is worth mentioning. And on top of that, a lot of foods that you eat, you know, you can compare or you compare certain foods with vitamin D rich foods to get the vitamin K2 in there as well. Um, 
different things that are going to have vitamin K2 are going to be things like broccoli, cabbage, dark leafy greens. All of those are going to be really great sources of vitamin K2. So for example, if you were eating some salmon or eggs, you could easily just grill up some cabbage or make a little salad of dark leafy greens, whatever it may be, and that will give you ample amounts of K2 to pair with your vitamin D. Okay, so that was the first one was vitamin D and I kind of threw in K2 there because I felt that it was important to mention it with the vitamin D. And our second one is actually going to be vitamin B9, which is also known as folate. So folate is definitely something that is a little bit more specific to uh, pregnant women uh, specifically because it has a lot to do with uh, the developing fetus, but in general, folate is something that is very, very important and is also something that we are tending to be deficient in. So, for example, folate actually helps to form DNA and RNA. It's involved in protein metabolism. It's essential for proper neural tube development in fetuses and is needed for your cells to divide. So once again, much like vitamin D, plays extremely crucial roles in our health and wellness, as well as the development of our bodies while we are still fetuses, right? So if you are deficient in folate, you can experience things such as fatigue, difficulty concentrating, irritability, uh, headaches, heart palpitations, and shortness of breath. Folate may also decrease your risk for several forms of cancer. So this is if we're actually getting proper amounts of folate. Uh, it, will, it has been shown to decrease your risk for several forms of cancer, depression, heart disease, stroke, dementia, and Alzheimer's. There is kind of a caveat to that. There is not a ton of research on some of those uh, claims, such as with the Alzheimer's and dementia, but nonetheless, that is what some findings are showing. So just really kind of hitting home how important getting adequate levels of folate truly is. Uh, and in terms of our recommended daily amount, it shows that we are supposed to be getting somewhere around 400 micrograms for adults and 600 micrograms for pregnant women. Once again, trying to really hammer home uh, getting proper amounts of folate for women uh, who are in the pregnancy stage, right? It's uh, very, very crucial for the development of the fetus. Now, in terms of foods that are going to be naturally high in folate, this is one food that I've talked that I've <laughs> that I've spoke about many of times before, and it's something that can be hard to stomach, but there are ways of preparing it that make it a little bit easier. That is beef liver. So beef liver at four ounces is the equivalent of 320 micrograms. So with the daily, uh, the recommended daily amount for the average person being 400 micrograms, this literally almost meets that amount, right? And just four ounces of beef liver. Now for a uh, pregnant woman, uh, woman, that is going to, obviously they'll need a little bit more, but still it is a really, really great way of getting in some folate. In terms of the flavor, because I know it is very challenging to eat, uh, one thing that I've been doing is I will actually take a pound of uh, grass-fed ground beef and then I will chop up a frozen liver and actually mix it in with the ground beef and cook it together. This really helps to mask the flavor of the liver. And what's cool is you can really choose how much liver you want to put in there. Because even if you're putting just a small amount of liver in there, it's going to have a lot of benefit because it's a really nutrient-dense uh, organ uh, meat. So highly, highly recommend doing that. 
Um, once again, dark leafy greens are going to be a reoccurring theme here. Um, whole foods in general tend to be much better for you and have you know a great array of uh, nutrient density, but definitely dark leafy greens are a great way of achieving uh, folate. Brussels sprouts as well at a half cup boiled are going to provide 78 micrograms. Asparagus, and it's just four boiled spears are going to be equal to 89 micrograms. Once again, the egg, uh, one hard boiled egg is going to have 20, uh, 22 micrograms. Banana is going to have 24 micrograms. Avocado at a half cup is going to be 59 micrograms. So there's many, many things that have folate in it. And it's essentially just trying to include these, include whole food sources into our diet to ensure that we're getting proper levels. But if you really just wanna hack this, I would highly recommend just going with the beef liver. Uh, that's going to be the fastest way to get the folate in. Um, so once again, in all of these, you know, minerals and vitamins, I'm definitely going to provide, you know, the highest sources that I could possibly find. And so, for example, with vitamin D, we have the cod liver oil, and with folate, we have beef liver. Uh, yes, these are both animal forms, so if you're not in uh, into a diet that includes animal products, then, of course, we can always revert to the other things, such as dark leafy greens. Those are gonna be really, really beneficial. And mushrooms for the vitamin D. Now, when it comes to folate, you will typically see at stores, uh, if you look in the supplement section, you'll see folic acid. Now, the only problem with this is that folic acid is not the usable form that your body needs. So the body actually has to convert that folic acid into a usable form. And it's actually been found that there is a portion of the population, I believe it's about a third of the population, that is not able to convert this folic acid into a usable form. So, uh, Basically, you're taking folic acid and not receiving any of the benefits. You're actually just having a buildup of folic acid in your body, which could possibly have some detriment to it. Uh, so I highly recommend taking the active form of folate if you are going to supplement. Um, and that biologically active form is going to be called, and bear with me here, 5-methyl-tetrahydrofolate. <laughs> That's an absolute mouth mouthful, but it's once again 5 methyl tetrahydrofolate. That is the type that our cells are actually going to use, right? That's the biologically active form of folate. So if you are taking a folate supplement, I would highly recommend taking that form as opposed to just folic acid. Um, but you could also just eat your folate, right? Um, through things like beef liver and all these other yummy goody uh, Brussels sprouts and eggs and asparagus and avocados, right? So that's gonna do it for folate. Let's move on to number three. So number three is actually going to be iodine. So iodine here in the US and Canada and most um, Western countries, I would say, typically tend to not have too much of an issue with getting enough iodine because a lot of people eat uh, salt that has iodine in it, essentially iodized salt. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's still not a concern, especially around the world, it actually is a bit of a concern and also, there's a lot of people who have been having issues with their thyroid, and a lot of the times it does come down to not having enough iodine. So uh, this is definitely something I wanted to talk about. I feel that it's worthy of being spoken about, and also there's a food that I really love that is really high in iodine, and so I'll be able to share that with you, but let's go ahead and take a moment and talk about what iodine does in the body. 
So iodine is a mineral that is used to make thyroid hormone, which control the body's metabolism and many other important functions, such as proper bone and brain development during pregnancy and infancy. So like I said, once again, a pretty important uh, mineral here that our body really absolutely needs. And if we're not getting it in proper amounts, it can be very detrimental. So if we look at many of the common issues with being deficient in iodine, it can actually really show up in your children, such as stunted growth, lower IQ levels, enlarged thyroid glands, and actually delayed sexual development. Uh, in terms of lack of iodine later in life, we can also see things like hypothyroidism, which is essentially means that your thyroid gland doesn't produce enough thyroid hormone. Uh, this can lead to a slew of issues down the road, a uh, bunch of different symptoms. So definitely something that we want to pay attention to. Now, according to the World Health Organization, 1.8, sorry, 1.88 billion people have insufficient dietary iodine intake. Like I said, this typically isn't an issue in the US or Canada or Australia or something like that, but in many parts of the world, it is still an issue. And just because you are here in the US or Canada or wherever, uh, it doesn't mean that you might not be deficient in iodine. Once again, the best way to know is to simply test. Um, but let's go ahead and dump, jump into uh, what foods will have high levels of uh, iodine in them. So also really quickly before I jump in, the daily value of iodine is at 150 micrograms for adults. So my number one go-to form of iodine that I love sharing with people because it's really just nutrient dense and is so easy to add into foods is a seaweed called dulse. Now, in general, seaweed is going to be a great form of iodine regardless of what kind of seaweed you're eating. But when we're talking about dulse, this is a seaweed that is insane in its amount of iodine. It actually has in just two tablespoons of dulse, 675 micrograms. So as I said, our daily value is 150 micrograms. This is at 675 micrograms in two tablespoons. So it's a nutrient dense food. Absolutely. Um, you know, we don't eat enough, um, sea vegetables, I guess you could call it. Uh, and we really should, we should eat way more of them because they have a lot of really great uh, nutrient profiles in them. And dulse is a really great one. Uh, you can add it to a salad very easily. Uh, you can add it to a bunch of different other foods. It has a very salty flavor to it. Um, some people might not be the biggest fan of it. It can have a little bit of a funky taste to it, uh, but I feel that it's very easy to mask. And at the end of the day, two tablespoons, I mean, even one tablespoon to get like practically 300 micrograms of, uh, of iodine is very, very worth it, right? So that is going to be the first one. The second one is going to be oysters at three ounces cooked is going to have 93 uh, micrograms. Yogurt at three quarter cup is going to have 87 micrograms. Hard boiled egg, 26 micrograms. Um, and like I said, yes, most salts and even breads will have iodine in them, uh, but we're trying to look at the whole food forms of these, right? We're really trying to look at how can we get these without having to have processed white bread that has been iodized, right? Um, or even salt for that matter. If we can just simply eat our iodine, that is going to be 100% way more beneficial and better for our bodies. So those are going to be the top ways of getting in your iodine. 
And then moving on to number four, so we've got two left here, and this one is going to be magnesium. So magnesium is important for around 300 different processes in the body, such as regulating muscle and nerve function, regulating blood sugar levels and blood pressure, and it also helps to make protein, uh, bones, and DNA. So once again, <laughs> like the other three uh, nutrients that we've already spoken about, very, very important, plays a massive, crucial role in the body and is something that we absolutely need to be getting in our daily diets. Now, unfortunately, magnesium deficiency can show up in many ways such as appetite, nausea, vomiting, fatigue, weakness, numbness, tingling, muscle cramps, seizures, personality changes, and even abnormal heart rhythm, which kind of hits home for me because my dad has uh, abnormal heart rhythms, as well as some other issues with his heart. And I truly believe that magnesium might have played a role in that. Now, my dad's heart condition is improving because he has started to change up his diet. And one of the things he's added is cacao, and that has definitely helped him in many ways with his heart. But I definitely think magnesium played a role in that. And so if you're actually getting your proper amounts of magnesium in daily, uh, you can be helping to lower your risk of getting things like high blood pressure, heart disease, type two diabetes, osteoporosis, because magnesium can help to increase uh, the bone mineral density, and also possibly help to lower the frequency of migraines. So magnesium is extremely important. It's something we are not getting enough of and something we definitely need to increase our uptake on. Um, I've heard that up to 20% of the general population have low serum magnesium levels and magnesium deficiency has been found in 84% of postmenopausal women with osteoporosis. So what that means essentially is that we all need to be getting our magnesium in, but very specifically, postmenopausal women, as, and especially if you have osteoporosis, try to get your magnesium intake daily. Now, in terms of foods that are going to have high levels of magnesium, and once again, the RDA of magnesium, the recommended daily amount for adults is anywhere between 310 to 420 milligrams. So first off, and this is for all of the plant-based people or just technically anyone, is pumpkin seeds. So one ounce of pumpkin seeds is going to provide you with 156 milligrams of magnesium. Super high form of getting natural magnesium into your diet. Uh, once again, dark leafy greens are a go-to whenever in doubt. Dark leafy greens and uh, typically eggs as well are a really good one. And uh, black beans at a half cup will provide 60 milligrams. Salmon at three ounces will provide 26 milligrams. Avocado at a half cup will provide 22 milligrams. Oysters, uh, six medium oysters will provide 51 milligrams. So various forms of getting magnesium in. Um, it can be tough to reach this amount sometimes. Uh, you will have to put some intention into it. And for that reason, I do sometimes supplement my magnesium. Um, sometimes I will take a magnesium supplement before I go to bed, although it can be difficult because there's multiple forms of magnesium. Uh, but another way of doing it is I drink Element Water, uh, L-M-N-T. It's a company that basically provides um, like a powdered 
mixture that you can add into your water. It's going to provide you with potassium, magnesium, sodium, basically electrolytes for your body uh, to hydrate and replenish your body. Uh, it's basically like Gatorade without the sugar, which is way, way better for you. Obviously, um, the amount of sugar that they put in a bottle of Gatorade is kind of ridiculous. Uh, so we want to stay away from that. And uh, this is one of those cases in which I will typically supplement um, just because I think I might not be getting enough magnesium personally. And so uh, especially if I'm doing a fast, for example, I will absolutely drink Element. And uh, for those of you who don't know, yes, you can still be fasted and um, consume certain beverages. And this is one of them because it does not have any calories. Um, it's not spiking the blood glucose or anything like that. So uh, it's a great way to still stay hydrated when you're going through a fast. And just in general, it's a great way of staying hydrated and uh, keeping the electrolyte levels up. So Element is definitely a good option if you are worried that you're not getting good levels of magnesium in your daily food intake. Um, and actually one packet of uh, Element, the Element supplement will provide 60 milligrams of uh, magnesium. So not going to give you your full daily recommended amount, but it will definitely help, especially if you're pairing it with things like pumpkin seeds. Okay, so now we're going to jump in to the last one, which is going to be zinc. Zinc is needed for the proper functioning of over 200 enzymes and is crucial for normal growth and development, immune system function, DNA and protein synthesis, and cell division. Since the human body cannot store zinc for long, constant dietary intake of zinc is required for, to maintain normal functions. So zinc is absolutely crucial. Does a lot of great things in the body. Like I just said, like all of the other minerals and vitamins do as well, but it is a very, very crucial one because we are not able to store it for long periods of time. Therefore, that means we do need to be getting regular intake of zinc. And it's also found that up to one third of the population in various parts of the world can be deficient in zinc. So it's definitely something we want to be looking into, especially with one third of the world being deficient in it. Uh, since zinc is responsible for many functions throughout the body, a deficiency in zinc can affect everything from literally your skin to your bones, to your digestive, reproductive, and central nervous system, and even immune system. So plays a massive role in various parts of your body and is something that we really do need to make sure we're getting ample amounts of. Uh, now, people with gastrointestinal disorders, such as yours truly, um, I have dealt with many of them in the past and, you know, still continuously on this path of recovery, um, but it is going to be harder for people with gastro, gastrointestinal issues uh, to get proper amounts of zinc, as well as for vegetarians and vegans. So uh, the reason for that is, is because when you have gastrointestinal disorders, such as Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, this is because it is basically you're having decreased levels of absorption of zinc. And uh, yeah, basically you're not allowing your digestive system to do its work, to be able to properly absorb the amounts of zinc that you should be absorbing. Uh, and then as in terms of uh, vegetarians and vegans, this is mainly due to the bioavailability of zinc being lower because of heavy consumption of legumes and whole grains, which contain phytates that bind to zinc and inhibit their absorption. So 
mainly what's happening here for the plant-based people is essentially when you're eating things like legumes and uh, you know whole grains, they're going to bind to, or the, sorry, the phytates in them are going to bind to the zinc and keep your body from properly absorbing them, which can lead to having lower levels of zinc. Now, there is a bit of a way around this for people who are, uh, you know, uh, going the plant-based route, and that is simply going to be to soak your grains, basically, before you cook them. Um, soaking them for, you know, a few hours uh, can really help in reducing the amount of phytates in your foods. Uh, I've also heard that pressure cooking your foods, uh, such as like your uh, beans, like let's say black beans, for example, pressure uh, soaking them and then pressure cooking them can really help to reduce the level of phytates in them, which can be massively beneficial for you in terms of getting proper levels of zinc. Now, if you have gastrointestinal uh, issues, such as you know Crohn's disease, Really, I mean, the best thing to do is to really focus on trying to heal your, you know, heal this this problem of the GI issues that you're having and then kind of move forward from there. There's many ways of doing it, um, too many to really get into right now, but that is going to be the goal is to try to really focus on that first and then, um, you know, also simultaneously focus on just eating foods that have higher levels of zinc. So in terms of eating zinc, uh, we have the recommended daily amounts for women at eight milligrams and men 11 milligrams. So in terms of the foods, number one on the list, and I've spoken about this before, it's an incredible food in terms of uh, zinc and for many other reasons, but definitely with zinc, and that is oysters. So three ounces of raw oysters are going to provide 32 milligrams of zinc, whereas we only are needing for a recommended daily amount either 8 to 11 milligrams. So this is going to absolutely take care of your daily zinc intake is by just throwing back a couple oysters each day. Um, if you're not into oysters, that's okay. There are other foods. Um, next on the list would be beef at three ounces. A, uh, sorry, it's a bottom sirloin is going to have the equivalent of 3.8 milligrams. So definitely a lot lower than the oysters, but for people who have a hard time stomaching oysters, this would probably be the next one. And then once again, pumpkin seeds coming up high on the list here uh, for the plant-based community, and that is going to be uh, one ounce of roasted pumpkin seeds at 2.2 milligrams. Then you have lentils at a half cup equaling 1.3 milligrams and sardines at three ounces equaling 1.1 milligrams. So those are going to be the foods to get zinc. Uh, just to kind of recap here on the top foods to be eating for all of these, we have oysters for zinc, we have pumpkin seeds for magnesium, we have seaweed, specifically dulse for our iodine intake, we have beef liver for our folate intake, and then we also have our cod liver oil for our vitamin D. So those are going to be the top foods to be eating in terms of trying to fill these nutrient deficiencies. And I highly recommend that if you're able to, if they fit your dietary practice, to go ahead and include those on, you know, as many meals as, as you can, at least once a day, um, whatever you can do to really increase those is going to be beneficial. Of course, the number one thing though here is we do want to test and really find out what it is that we're low in, and then we can make educated decisions in how we build our plates, but all the time really focusing on 
looking at food first, right? And even when it comes to going to a supplement, we wanna really focus on sticking to whole food supplements first and then going into the very specific types of supplements that might be, you know, like one single ingredient, like vitamin E or vitamin uh, D or vitamin A, whatever it may be. Now, in terms of supplements, I try to keep mine as whole food based as possible, which is typically why I usually consume things that are like, you know, uh, medicinal mushrooms, or they're also called functional mushrooms, and things like algae, like spirulina and chlorella. Spirulina and chlorella are actually <sighs> probably my favorite quote-unquote supplement, even though they're a whole food. They're literally just an algae, uh, a microalgae that you can eat. Literally, you can just chew them and, and eat them however you want. You can add them to smoothies. Um, they are probably my favorite supplement because they are so packed with, like, I think it's 40 plus vitamins and minerals. So for me, it's really the most bang for the buck right there, but it's also just so simple. You can take one food and really help to get at least a solid amount of various minerals, vitamins, amino acids, all these goodies. Um, so for example, let's just look at spirulina and chlorella. And I'm basing this off of the Energy Bits spirulina and chlorella, which is my personal favorite. Um, to me, it's the cleanest spirulina and chlorella I've ever found. Um, also, the founder has put in a ton of work so that you can really look in and see what are the testings that have been done on spirulina and chlorella? What are the levels of minerals and vitamins that they contain. And so, for example, this is all straight off of the Energy Bits, uh, uh, sorry, their webpage. And so if we're looking at chlorella, taking 30 tablets of the chlorella tablets, you would be receiving 94 micrograms of folate. So that's the vitamin B9. You have 14 micrograms of vitamin D, 19.2 micrograms of vitamin K2, 21 milligrams of magnesium and 84 micrograms of zinc. So that's just in chlor uh, chlorella. So that's talking about, you know, basically the stuff that we've been talking about today that we're deficient in, but it also has things like iron, manganese, potassium, glutathione, chlorophyll, superoxide dismutase, melatonin, coenzyme Q10, plus 18 amino acids. That's all just in one, <laughs> one algae, right? That's in chlorella. So by taking 30 tablets of chlorella, that is all of what you would be getting plus more. And then if we look into spirulina, you have 8.2 micrograms of folate, 10.4 micrograms of vitamin K2, 29 milligrams of magnesium, 123 micrograms of zinc. Then you have vitamin A, vitamin E, glutathione, chlorophyll, superoxide dismutase, melatonin, iron, copper, manganese, 18 amino acids, including all nine essential amino acids, which are incredible because your body does not make the essential amino acids, hence, hence why they are essential. And we need to basically obtain them through outside sources. They're not something that our body can make. And for a plant-based person, this is incredible because a lot of the times, Meat is the go-to protein source and it will have, you know, all of the essential amino acids in them. But here is a form that, yes, granted, you would have to eat a lot of spirulina to get proper amounts of protein, but nonetheless, it is still a plant-based uh, type of food that is going to have all nine essential amino acids and other uh, uh, amino acids as well. But these are truly 
supplements that I take every single day. I have a pretty limited list in terms of what supplements I do actually take on the daily. Spirulina and chlorella are hands down the number one thing that I will never take out of my supplement set. I take them every single day. Um, I don't typically take 30 tablets a day. Um, I'm somewhere more so around 10 tablets a day. Uh, be, that's just simply based off of my physical output and also based on the foods that I'm eating. Maybe I eat a little bit more on some days or a little bit less on other days. Uh, but nonetheless, 10 tends to be about the amount that I take every single day. And also in terms of getting spirulina and chlorella, if you have a source that you love, by all means, stick with it. And as long as you're eating spirulina and chlorella, I'm happy. <laughs> like they're super nutrient dense and they're going to really add to uh, your daily intake. But if you are looking for a brand or you're looking for a very clean brand, highly, highly recommend Energy Bits. Don't just take my word for it. Check out their website, look at what they're all about, how they harvest, all the good stuff. I mean, they're based out of Taiwan. It's a pristine location where they grow it. There's been generations of family growing uh, these microalgaes. Uh, they use spring water to grow them. They're far away from all contaminants. Uh, it is just a very, very, very clean source of spirulina and chlorella. And personally, as a person who has probably tried, I would say at least seven different types of spirulina and chlorella, um, this is hands down my favorite one. So if you want to check them out, go ahead and look in the show notes. I have their link posted and I also have a code. It's code ELEMENTAL, all in caps. And if you type that in at checkout, you will get 20% off your entire order just for being a listener of the Elemental Event Show. That's just kind of my thank you to you for being a listener. And it's also a great way to help out the show. So definitely check them out. It's a great way of helping to get a lot of these really key minerals and vitamins that we tend to be deficient in. Um, of course, it's not going to be the end-all be-all, but it is going to be a great way to add on and uh, really kind of help fill in some gaps in your uh, plate that you're eating on the daily, right? So go ahead and check them out. And aside from that, guys, that's going to do it for today's episode. So I hope you enjoyed it. Um, this was a really beneficial episode for myself personally because I learned a ton about you know what these minerals and vitamins are that we're typically deficient in, as well as where we can find them in whole food forms, which I think is truly just the most natural way of doing it. And really, I think that's what we need to be doing, right, is kind of sticking to the basics here. A lot of times the basics are the best way to do it. So anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Please share this with a friend, family uh, member, loved one, uh, someone who really needs to hear this episode. Maybe they are deficient in these or you just heard this and it really spoke to you and made you think of that person. Go ahead and share this episode with them. Share this episode on your socials as well. Tag me in your uh, post. I love to see that. Um, leave a review, leave a rating, all that good stuff. Um, it helps people to find this show. And of course, keep tuning in and um, yeah, reach out to me. Share any you know ideas, tips, uh, things you wanna hear about uh, with me at any time. And I appreciate all your listenership so, so much. I hope you guys have a beautiful rest of your day. Until next week, have a blessed one. And as always, do everything with good intentions and connect to your elements. Much love, everybody. Peace. This podcast is for educational purposes only. 
It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. Evan Roberts is not a medical professional, and this podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. Statements and views expressed on this show are not medical advice. This podcast, including Evan Roberts and any guests on the show, disclaims responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained in this episode. If you think you have a medical problem, please consult a medical professional. Thank you.